from the composted studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another uplifting episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. Millions of first-timers are turning to gardening to escape isolation and have a reason to put on real pants again. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll help you successfully grow some of your own food with a treatise on the correct types of, quote, soil with which to fill your raised beds. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, Cats and Kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy testing their topsoil. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and bodaciously beleaguered bon vivants. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you corralling your compost right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I am your beautiful host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we have already told you how to sprout your seeds, how to give them enough light, how to take them through the next stage of growth. And today, we're going to almost finish up by telling you exactly what you should fill your brand new raised beds with. Very important. You're going to be sleeping in those beds for a long time. We're also going to take your fabulous phone calls at our brand new phone number. Hooray! 888-492-9444. Michael. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Michael. How are you? Great. And yourself? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. You know, ducky is still with us, threatening. If ducky could talk, ducky would be running this show right now. Uh, where are you, Michael? I am in Sanatoga, outside of Boston. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, man. You can see the nukes. Uh, I can't see the towers from my house, but I can see the steam stacks. Oh, yeah. Oh. Sanit- I, I mean, I can see the steam. Yeah, I always thought Sanatoga was misspelled, you know, for some reason. It, it should have been um, sanitary or something like that. Or, or Saratoga. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, then you, at least you'd have the springs. All right. What can we do for Michael in Pennsylvania? Well, I, uh, I, I have this thing I usually wind up trying to getting arguments with friends about um, how I can tell, you, tell them you can pretty much grow anything from the supermarket. So a couple of years ago, I was having a party, and I took, I don't remember if it was a lemon or a lime, mm-hmm. I took the pulp and the seeds, and I threw it in a pot that I was growing some ginger in. And I just said, I'm leave it there out of curiosity. And I didn't give it any other thought. The end of that year, that was three years ago, I had a little six-inch, little aggressive little plant growing, and still didn't give it any thought. Just out of curiosity, I left it there over winter. Um, Flash forward to last year, it was about 16 inches tall, had some really nice spikes on it, a couple branches, some thick, waxy, double-lobed leaves, Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, I'm going to let it grow. And at that point, somebody told me it was either a Meyer lemon or a uh, key lime. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't think it's either one of those, but I'm still pretty sure it's a citrus plant. Mm-hmm. Last year, the thing went crazy. It is now seven feet tall. Just since Thanksgiving, it has grown another foot. It's inside the house. It's grown another foot. Okay, it has good. like six branches popping off the top now. Mm-hmm. Here's the story. First, I <clears> want to <throat> drop back to something you said in the beginning. Growing ginger in a pot. That, as you know, is one of the easiest and most rewarding things you can do. Uh, Just take Mm -hmm. a ginger root, as you said, from the supermarket, break off a hunk, put it in a pot with very well-drained potting soil, and keep it warm. You know, leave it out in the summer, bring it in in the winter, and it'll grow really interesting foliage up top. And then when that stuff dies, uh, you can harvest quite a bit of ginger root. And, man, you'll never get it fresher. Now, yeah. what you did is, I, I, we won't call it a mistake, but it is one of the most common things that happens to gardeners. Um, they use some supermarket produce. They see seeds inside, and they're curious as to whether they can sprout them. Your seeds may or may not have been from an actual Meyer lemon, but they were from a lemon tree, a standard-sized tree, not these little ones that people love to have as houseplants. And I will uh, tell people right now that if they want to buy a Meyer lemon or a dwarf key lime for the inside of their house, they'll never be sorry. The flowers alone scent the house beautifully. But all of these houseplant-sized ones have been grafted. That is the variety that's desired is grafted onto a rootstock that limits the final height of the tree. It also eliminates most of those thorns uh, that people don't realize citrus is really known for in the wild. So you are growing a full-size lemon, I would say lemon tree. That would be my guess. It could be a lime, uh, but you're growing a full-size standard one, which you would see maybe in San Diego or southern Florida or something like that. The odds of it flowering or fruiting are minimal to none. So... It is just, uh, it shows you have a wonderful green thumb. I mean, you got an amazing looking plant. And I'm really not surprised it survived that first winter outside. Outside. Well, no, I brought it in every year. Oh, you brought it in every year. Okay. All right. Yeah, I brought it in. It's in a, it's in a 20 gallon pot right now. Okay. I, every year I bring it in and keep it in the kitchen. Okay. So you're going to keep doing this or uh, has your back not well, going out that yet? Was, well, that was the part of the reason why I was calling. I didn't know. I, I obviously, after looking online and looking at different types of plants, because these, these leaves are very unique, mm-hmm. and I keep looking at different varieties of lime and lemon, and I have not been able to determine what, you know, what species or subspecies it is, and I didn't know its maturity height. I didn't know if this thing's going to be 10 feet tall, if it's going to be 30 feet tall, um, and if it was something that was worth just keeping around the house, just just to say, hey, I have a lemon tree, even though it doesn't produce. Well, it's uh, it. I bit think the big question is the height of your ceilings. Um, <laughs> Depends on the room, anywhere between eight and ten feet. Okay, so <laughs> you're you're pretty much out of gas, right? 
Um, close to it, yes. And yeah. like I said, I wanted to prune it, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to hurt it if I pruned it. But that my other concern was trying to figure out if it was if anybody was able to help me determine the variety. Oh well, they're in in uh, cultivation. They're definitely pruned. So yes. first thing I would say is hook this puppy up to a hand truck. Um, my Diane taught me that from my Birds of Paradise, and it's the only reason I have a little bit of a back left. So when it's time to move it in and out, you know, you got uh, you got wheels on your side. Uh, pruning you can pretty much do any time of year. Uh, you could do it inside now. You could do it when you take it out in the spring. You may have to do it before you take it out to get it through the doorway. <laughs> um, but it, they are fun to grow if you keep it going. I think most people give up at around this point. If you keep it grow, going, there's always the possibility of it flowering, if not fruiting. It may need cross-pollination. Uh, but, you know, yeah. what, what I would do is go to a professional citrus grower's website. Um, uh, you know, we did this um, with avocados a few weeks ago where there's a commission whose website is full of details. Um, and I'm sure there are amateur, so to speak, um, citrus growers out there. And so check on one of those, but, you know, make sure it's like a professional organization. And if you really do have distinctive looking leaves, they may be able to help you identify it. It may also be a hybrid. It may not be either a true lemon or a lime. It could be one of yeah. the other many citruses out there. So, yeah, I mean, you can keep pruning it for height. You may get flowers. Um, I doubt you're going to get lemons off it. If you want to do that, you want to buy a professionally grown Meyer lemon that's uh, been uh, linked to a dwarf rootstock. Yeah, spend the money and go get a, a decent one. Well, I mean, that, that, you sound like a determinate you, one. You sound like you got a uh, a green thumb. It is possible for you to simply buy the rootstock and then graft. Um, the lemon or lime of your choice onto it. Um, I would always go for the professionally done one. <laughs> my yeah. my thumb is somewhere between greenish and brown. You know. Well, the high school I went to, they taught us a lot of this, so I do have a pretty good green thumb. Yeah. So uh, yeah, what you really need is the later. is the dwarfing rootstock, and then you're good <laughs> to go. As with any okay. grafted plant, always remember the graft must remain above the soil line. Yes, yes. Okay? Maybe I should just mail the whole thing down to my father in Florida and be done with it. There you go. <laughs> Time for a long drive. <laughs> so quick pruning. Um, can I just lop two or three feet off the top, or, or is that kind of stupid? Well, you know, you got, you got unless you're really pressed for time, no, take off selective branches, um, take off the tallest ones, always leave, you know, one reaching up. And uh, it's, it's called pruning to the, to the next leader, um, uh, establishing a new central leader, you know, taking off the yeah. longest ones you have there. And then when you get to the height you want, that, uh, the biggest one in the middle is your new central leader. My, my thought was to try to keep it from going any much more taller than it is and trying to get it to 
uh, fill out. Yeah, yeah, that will do that. All right, man? Okay. All right, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. All right, good luck, sir. Barbara, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. This is a big treat. Well, thank you for, uh, for calling us, Barb. Uh, where are you? I'm in Saunderstown, Rhode Island. We are located on the west side of Narragansett Bay. Okay. Lovely up there. A um, little chilly, but it lovely. Is. And Rhode Island is not an island. But it has roads, so it's halfway true. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, that's where we get the term Rhodes Scholar. No, no, no. All right. What can we do for... No, no, no. <laughs> what can we do for Barbara in Rhode Island? Well, it has sort of now has morphed into two questions. One was I had planned to put compost on my almost five-year-old uh, asparagus bed back in the fall, but I never did. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I've thrown a little bit on, but not too much. And I was wondering if I could do it now. And then I was told I was given some um, seaweed by a friend who collected it down um, at the Bay Campus at URI mm-hmm. and uh, said he's been using that. And I'm wondering if that's something I can put in my garden or on top of plants that are asleep. Um, well, that's, those are two very different questions. The first answer right. is going to be that you can feed your asparagus almost at any time of the year. Now, is this your own homemade Mm -hmm. compost? Are you buying it? Uh, No, I buy it from a landscaper. Okay. So do you know uh, what the original material was? I don't. Okay. See, the reason I ask, and here's a little foreshadowing for everybody listening, is we are seeing some really exciting new research in the world of composting about the difference between compost that's made from yard waste and compost that incorporates animal manures. Um, Back in the day Mm -hmm. and forever after, the best food for asparagus was considered to be completely composted horse manure. Um, Asparagus is a heavy Mm -hmm. feeder. It loves a lot of nitrogen. So normally I tell people not to use manures for various reasons. But if you could find a good supply of composted horse manure, that would be the best thing to feed your asparagus bed. Um, This season, if you want to hit the ground running, sure, use the compost that you can get locally from the landscaper. So I want you to go to this landscaper, but instead of having them dump the whole load all at once, bring home a bucket of the compost, a sample, and just fill a regular plant pot with it. Water the plant pot every day, keep it inside, and if no weed seeds have sprouted in the first 10 days or two weeks, that's fabulous. But if you get a whole bunch of greenery in the pot, you don't want to put that on an asparagus bed because the worst enemy of asparagus is, of course, weeds. So you just, weeds. yeah, you just want to, yes. you just want to test it for weed seeds, nice and simple. Now, as to the seaweed, um, the answer there is yes, but it, it's not the ideal fertilizer for um, asparagus. Um, seaweed from cold waters, and your waters are cold, contains a lot of micronutrients and minerals that just your regular garden variety plants really like. 
So I would incorporate the seaweed. If you have a compost pile, I would put the seaweed in there and let it join with the compost. But if you just want to lay it down as a mulch the way Elliot Coleman does on the rocky coast of Maine, that's fine too. But I would use that on tomatoes, peppers, salad, any, anything that likes uh, a wide variety of nutrients because uh, asparagus being a grass just wants nitrogen. And so in the future, okay. I, I would suggest you keep an eye out for composted horse manure. Okay. All right. All right. I can do that. We have, we have people uh, who have horses, but I don't know how long does it, does it take to compost it? Until it no longer you know? has any smell or heat. Uh-huh. Okay. And it will. It'll compost right. down great. into beautiful black soil. All mm -hmm. right? Okay. Fantastic. All uh, right. You take care. Pleasure Thanks. to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, likewise. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and once again warn everybody out there that seed and plant companies are running behind in getting their orders out due both to increased demand and the social distancing necessary to keep the employees who pick and pack those orders safe. So please order early, be patient, and maybe allow some substitutions if one or two of your chosen varieties is sold out. Ah, but don't go perusing your potential purchases just yet, because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls to our brand new number, 888-492-9444. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Hi, this is Mike McGrath, host of You Bet Your Garden, which you're listening to right now. I want to tell you uh, it's getting down to the end of our little lucky duck promotion. If you are listening on your local radio station, I want you to support them. But if you are listening to our podcast or online or any place else, you can support the show and get your own little lucky ducky as a thank you gift when you become a member of WLVR for 60 bucks a year. You'll be supporting our station, my show, public radio in general, and all things decent and good in America. So just go to the website, youbetyourgarden.org, for all the lucky duck details. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. And I am thrilled to tell you that we have finally fixed our phone lines. I think maybe we paid a bill, something like that. But we do have a brand new number for you to call. It is 
the number four, the letters YB, YG, and then two fours after that. And because nobody's going to remember that, it's 888-492-9444. Scott, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Scott. How you doing? Unbelievable. How about you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Where is Scott unbelievable? Ottawa Lake, Michigan. <laughs> All right. What can we do you for, Scott? Well, we're going to till up about 10,000 square feet um, this year. We live on uh, several acres, and we want to grow some additional crops in addition to the raised beds that we already have. Mm -hmm. And the only area that we have available is uh, somewhat near our pond. We have a three-acre pond, private, and we've never used any chemicals in it. And I was wondering if pond water is okay to use on, on vegetables. It is not only okay to use on vegetables, it is the preference of many people. Um, water that contains fish and aquatic plants is felt to convey lots of micronutrients uh, to plants. Uh, J.I. Rodale, the founder of organic gardening and the, the Rodale Press Empire and in whose name the Rodale Institute was founded many years ago, he used to prefer uh, not only the water, uh, but to compost the plants that grow on the margins. Oh. Um, he felt that anything that was growing in or around water and the water itself was kind of superpowered. So that's an, huh. e that's an easy one. Now, have you, uh, okay. this seems like an enormous undertaking. You say you're going to till up 10,000 square feet? Yes, yeah, so we have a tractor and a tiller, and we're going to start as soon as the ground thaws, we're going to start tilling it probably once a week and then add some compost, and then I think we're going to plant toward the end of May. We're going to do corn and root vegetables. Okay. Now, have you ever worked with tilled soil before as opposed to gardening and raised beds? No, we haven't. This will be a new project for us. Be aware that tilling releases a lot of soil nutrients, and you really have to wait until the soil is bone dry, or you'll also ruin the soil structure. But, it real, and, oh. but the real problem is weeds. As you, you've probably heard these horrifying statistics, mm -hmm. you know, there's like 18 million weed seeds in every square foot of soil and everything like that. And when you till, what happens is you dig up the seed and you expose it to sunlight, which is the trigger for germination. And then what do you do? You smooth out that soil so nicely. You might even water it, maybe even feed it. And you're shocked, shocked to discover these weeds, this sea of weeds. But you should be proud. That's probably the best planting you're ever going to do. So... So what do you what do you uh, recommend right now? It's just prairie grass, right? Um, and that grass drops a lot of seed, man. Uh, well, you ha you have a couple of options, and I also want to mention uh, quite seriously that extensive plowing is what caused the dust bowl in the '30s because it just ruined right. the soil structure. A friend of mine tried to uh, create a small scale garlic farm 
but he was frustrated by weed, so he just kept tilling it over and over again. And he didn't tell me until he had tilled this patch like half a dozen times. And I told him, You're, there's no nutrients left in that soil. You've sent it all into the atmosphere. And, you know, he either didn't believe me or didn't have any option, and he got the tiniest garlic bulbs I have ever seen. So um, I would recommend, oh boy, sweet corn, I think, almost could outcompete the prairie grass. What I would suggest instead of tilling is to mow that sucker to the ground. And I mean, Okay. You know, I want to see dirt blowing out the back of the mower. Right. And like with a brush hog or something. Right. And rake it all up or burn it on the spot to get rid of the seeds. Mm. You know, get a flame weeder. You can have some manly fun mm -hmm. out there. Um, but <laughs> corn grows best kind of weirdly in compact soil. Um, you get the soil too oh. nice and loose and it tends to fall over. So I think that oh, okay. I think that's what I would do for the corn, and there's a lot less work there. And again, you're not you're not going to uh, double down on your weed problems, and you're not going to lose the right. nutrients. The the nutrient you'll lose the most of is nitrogen, and that's what corn wants. So it okay. is matter of fact. That's why you even see, you know, chemical farms practicing what's called no till. And if you go, oh. to, if you go look at some websites of extension services and maybe the Rodale Institute, because I know they've done extensive studies of no-till farming, and they can really walk you through uh, the paces of no-till farming for corn, because that's the, that's the new way of doing it. And it's, it's much better for the environment okay. and the atmosphere. For the root crops. All right. What about, okay. You know, if you don't feel a need to get started right away, uh, consider tilling up the soil, because you're right, root crops need that underground space, or you get carrots making dirty pictures out of themselves. Um, but I would, I would do small areas at a time, workable areas. After you're done tilling it, uh, level it out, level it out, like with a level, like you're a carpenter. And then okay. saturate it with water and cover that area with clear plastic that is either one or two mils thick. I'm hoping that you'll get okay. enough sunshine over the summer. Then what happens is you've created what's called the stale seed bed. You've actually destroyed the right. seeds that um, were brought to the surface. And if you do that, if you make one stale seed bed after the other, you should have good success. Okay, terrific. Well, thanks so much. I uh, really enjoy your show. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, good luck to you. All right, remember that brand new number to call, 888-492-9444. Gene, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. It's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you, Jean. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing. I'm doing well. We're a bit cold right now, but we're good. And and where is Jean? Well, but cold. In central Pennsylvania. Okay, so, uh, in the Penn right here State. In Belfont. Oh, Bel I know that Stadium. town. 
I, um, yeah. yeah, when I spoke in uh, Penn State the most recent time, I, I love going up, mm-hmm. up there or over there, whatever you call it. And I stopped in, mm-hmm. in Belafonte and went to a great place called Blondie. Yes. A, a great little <laughs> restaurant that I just happened Fabulous, to. Fabulous, yes. Oh, yeah, I didn't want to leave. It was great. All right. Yeah, so, what can, yeah. boy, but how do you, what do they do with those streets in the winter? Some of them are straight up, they're not even angled. It's, it's like trying oh, to get up a I cliff. Know, they're, I don't. I don't like to go there at that at this time of year. I pretty much stay, you know, on the level ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, around the courthouse, it's pretty scary because there are very, very steep hills there. Oh yeah. And I, I don't, don't really know what happens because I don't go there. <laughs> I thought I dozed off and took the wrong exit, and I was in San Francisco or something. I know it's very steep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What can we do you for? Well, we, of course, are having a m- m- relatively colder winter zone this year than we have had in the past several years. Yeah. And the deer population has decided to um, feast on our rhododendrons. Oh, yeah. And they are being ferocious. Yeah. We've, we've in the past, have, you know, sort of uh, fenced in our, our rhododendrons, but... Uh, and that seemed to help, you know. We put a, one of those um, nettings over the over the bushes, mm-hmm. and uh, but you know, in the last ten or fifteen years, the winters have not re- needed that. You know, it would mm-hmm. be sno- a snow, and then it melts, and then the deer can, you know, eat on the grass. So the well, marshal, year, the marshal left his gun back at the jail, and the James boys rode into town. They did. Oh my gosh! And. What they're doing, it's a little different this year. They, uh, um, first of all, we've got like probably two herds that are coming in, and they're, you know, they're about six or seven uh, creatures per herd. Mm-hmm. And they come up, you know, up from the stream, and then they just start munching. Yeah. So uh, they seem to prefer the hybrid rhododendrons, except now they've eaten all of those, so they're going to the regular normal purple ones, and they don't care. Oh. So we, we were kind of, we were oh and it's devastating because these these uh, rhododendrons are you know probably twenty five thirty years old so they're beautiful and lush and you know last spring they were in color um, breathtaking yeah this year um, thinking we might not have any more <laughs> they're down to n- nothing um, but they're leaving the buds which is to me strange well, that's because kinda nice. You'll get it is, but you know, in past years they were eating them. Now they're just stripping the leaves. That's um, bizarre. And I was out there this morning to, you know, it makes me <laughs> ill to, yeah. to see the devastation. I know. I just figured but, out what's. Know, I just figured out what's happening. They they made yeah. a deal with the evil squirrels. The squirrels will get the buds. I think it. they did, <laughs> because there aren't any squirrels here right now. Um, and, but, the, but here's what they're doing. They're eating the leaves, mm-hmm. and then they just make a bed right underneath the, the bushes that they just, you know, devastated. And they're also going after the um, the cape myrtle, which I have right. never seen them do before. Well, here's um, the you deal. Know, they're digging that all up. So they're, I, I, my question is, I, it's late in the season, and just about everything is gone. So what what should I do? Should I get coyote 
You're no, 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 no. Okay, never, good. never use Predator urines. There is no proof okay. that they work, and the collection is okay. cruel in the extreme. Ah. I, I won't go into details ah, okay. because you sound like a okay. nice person. But um, in yeah. terms of plant favoritism, um, deer mm -hmm. will eat your hostas first, but they're not up from underground yet. Then they'll go for Correct. any arborvitae that are in the area. Then they'll go really? to the oh. azaleas. Then they'll go to the rhododendrons. And after okay. that, they will eat holly. They will eat, you know, horrible plants that are tough. Really? Yeah. You know, the, rather uh. than, you know, it's um, when uh, professionals and extension services make these lists of what used to be called yeah. deer-proof plants, They've now settled yes. on the term, these are the plants that deer eat last. Eat last. Eat last. Really? And this is um, because of the winter and because a lot of the food that they would otherwise feed on is hidden under snow. And right. they need more calories because the temperatures have been so abnormally low. And during a right. normal season, each deer is going to eat about six pounds of greenery. A day. Uh, so um, uh, what I would suggest is you get to a garden center if you can find one that's open or go online and buy a deer repellent whose active ingredient okay. is pu blah, blah, blah. buy a deer repellent whose active ingredient is putrescent egg solids. Oh, okay. That's the one that's been found to be the most repellent. And if you have choices between okay. brands, go with the one with the highest percentage of active ingredient. I would, I, would, okay. I would spray your plants as soon as possible and spray them you know, every two weeks um, to okay. save whatever you can. You know, when, okay, when spring comes, there is no reason mm -hmm. to believe that any buds <laughs> that still exist would not flower. Um, but then I would suggest uh, applying a good amount of compost at the base of the plant so that they, okay. um, you know, they have the uh, energy to grow new leaves, which they should be able to at this age. And don't let the deer sleep under your plants. Um, get like corrugated metal and put it around the base of the plants. Farmers used to do this to keep deer off their property. They would make a... Uh, a, a laid down on the ground fence of corrugated metal. And as you can imagine, if you are a hoofed creature, walking on this, you know, uneven metal was really mm -hmm. creepy. And you'd go eat somebody else's rhododendrons. But don't let them, okay, so don't let them get comfortable. They are marking your territories like hobos used to do yeah. outside of homes where they would get good sandwiches. So you're, when you say corrugated metal, you're saying to lie it, to lay it down, not Flat. not standing it up. Yeah. Flat. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, they can't handle that. Same thing if you have an old uh, cyclone fence that you took down. Anything like that that's weird, but you don't okay. let them get comfortable out there. Okay, that's good. Thank you. And in the as soon as the weather warms up, get a motion-activated sprinkler and point it at that part of your landscape. Uh, obviously, you can't use uh, 
water now, but once we're right. out of the deep freeze, motion-activated sprinklers are a great way to startle deer and get them to avoid your property in the future. Okay. But don't All let right. them start collecting their mail there, you know? I, <laughs> I think they are. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a Bambi here? There's a message for you from Coles. Yeah, Bambi and his twins. Yeah. All right. So good luck to you. Let us know what happens, okay? Well, thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Oh, my um, pleasure. I enjoy your program so much. Uh, thank okay. you so much. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take another little break and proudly announce that we finally paid our phone bill. And now we do have a phone number you can call anytime. But it ain't the old one. Our new phone number is 888-492-9444. Or if you want to be clever about it, it's 888-4YG44. Either way, now you really can call us anytime once again. Yay! But don't you go dial in that number just yet, because we'll be right back with the right stuff to fill your raised beds with and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to an exciting question of the week. The best mix of soils with which to fill your raised beds. But before that, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Tina, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Well, thank you, Tina. How you doing? I'm doing good. I am in Woodburn, Kentucky. I found you all on WPLN on Saturday morning, mm -hmm. a lot, well, probably three or four years ago. Right. Okay. Great. Well, so, what, what can yes. we do you for? Well, um, last year we had an arborist come and do some tree trimming, and uh, I had a, a volunteer maple tree in one of my flower beds that I was kind of thinking it, I would uh, transplant at one point, and uh, it gotten beyond. It gotten too tall for me to think about doing. And while he was here, I asked him about it. He said, "Oh yeah, well, we can do that." So it was in April, and he did the transplant and uh, used uh, moisture gathering pellets. And uh, when he planted, and said, "You know, you're not going to have to worry about." Uh, water in that tree unless it doesn't rain for three weeks. And I thought, wow. <laughs> so, because um, I, I had used those sort of moisture pellets in some container gardens that I've done, some flowers mostly, mm -hmm. because it does get tend to get, I live in the middle of a field. We right. have a lot of sun. It gets really hot and humid. Um, so I was, it worked well, seemed to work well for that tree. And we're getting ready to do some more, updating our landscaping and wondering kind of what your thoughts 
were on using those. Is it difficult for you to get water to new plants? Some of them may be where we are going to plant. One of the things that I loved about it was the fact that in the past, I've always had a hard time judging when they needed water. Mm -hmm. Now, he put these things in the planting hole. Did they look like the slimy little gummy bear things that are in some potting soils? So I asked him about the product that he was using. Right. He, he, he shared it with me. Um, soil moist. Mm -hmm. uh, said it's sodium polyacrylamide. Okay, so that's a plastic. And uh, how he described it is that you would uh, dig your hole, mm -hmm. fill it about probably two-thirds, you know, put your uh, root ball or whatever in, and then you fill it about two-thirds with your dirt. Mm -hmm. And when you're about five to six inches below the uh, ground level, you know, the top, you would just sprinkle these in there, kind of like putting, he described it as putting salt on the egg and bacon. Uh -huh. You know, you know when you're salting that in the morning, and then um, then you finish covering it up. You keep it away from the root ball. Mm -hmm. It was out in the soil that's around the plant or shrub or whatever it is. Um, but then for this to work, so, you'd really have to saturate that soil right away. Correct, yeah. And we did that with the tree. We left, uh, I think, a hose just gently running on it for 18 hours or so. Excellent, excellent. And you just answered your own question. Anytime you go um, a week without rain, typically the best way to water trees and shrubs is just what you say. Just let a hose drip at their base, you know, for 12 to 24 hours. That really saturates everything. Um, you're also, you know, you're kind of describing that you get really bone dry at the height of the summer. Um, if that's the mm -hmm. case and rain has really been scarce, you could do that even twice a week. Now, I'm actually surprised um, to hear your story. I believe you. You've never lied to me before. Um, when, <laughs> when these water-holding crystals were tested in university studies as components of potting mixes, they didn't do anything. They didn't increase the time between waterings. But, you know, trees are another matter, obviously. They've got, their, um, they've got their roots in the ground. And once trees get established, I don't know that I've ever uh, watered a tree, to be honest, uh, during drought times. You know, if you plant it correctly, and like he said correctly, absolutely you want to refill the hole with the soil you remove. That's perfect advice. Now, these water-holding crystals because they are um, a plastic, I personally would not use them because they're not organic. But they're also not killing mm -hmm. anything in the environment. You're not spraying the good bugs or anything like that. And it doesn't sound like they're doing any harm. And, and you believe in them. Belief is essential <laughs> in gardening. Um, and I'm not gonna suggest mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you'd start doing scientific studies, you know, plant one tree with them, one tree without them. But the most important takeaway here is if you want to keep using those crystals, that's up to you. But the most important thing is when you plant a new tree to fill the hole up with the same soil you removed and to water the heck out of it. 
over those first couple of weeks while it gets established. Those are, that, that's the best advice. But I'm very interested in hearing your story, and I imagine we'll hear from other gardeners soon about this. Well, he says uh, that he's been using them for around 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, he has uh, all the certifications. You know, he's got a couple of degrees, uh, mm -hmm. studied, and I can't tell you all of them. But, That's okay. um, you know, I just, I had never heard of that. And um, he said he can plant pretty much all summer long, which well, here, you know, we get pretty hot we're not Arizona hot, right? but definitely we get pretty hot. Yeah, that's generally bad advice. You know, when you, when you are <laughs> establishing expensive new trees and shrubs, you don't want to mm -hmm. plant them in the summertime because of the difficulty in keeping them watered. And most new trees and shrubs that die prematurely die from lack of watering and inattention. You know, when it comes down to stuff like this, because the material is not my style, so to speak, but it doesn't seem dangerous at all. Keep doing what you're doing. As long as it's working out, you go for it. Well, good. Okay. All right, you take care. All right, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling the dirty little secret of raised bed success. Bernadette in Allentown writes, I grow vegetables in raised beds. I start with organic plants and grow them organically using compost from the Rodale Institute as my added fertilizer. This year, I have four new raised beds measuring four by eight and 12 inches deep. My question to you is what kind of soil do I look for that is as close to organic as possible? I can't use organic soil in bags. It's just too costly for the amount I need. I hear that mushroom soil is probably treated with chemicals. I would really appreciate your advice on looking for soil to fill my raised beds. Well, the first thing I want to say is that you should always take the long view here. Depending on your age and God's good wishes, these beds could be producing, or not, for decades to come. So assume the amortization aspect and presume that what you start with will be with you for a decade or two. And remember, filling a bed is easy. Emptying it and starting over is not. The second thing, number two, that I want to say is that there really isn't anything called, quote, organic soil. But bagged potting soils, composts, and the like that carry the OMRI seal of approval that's OMRI for the Organic Materials Research Institute, have been tested and are approved for use on organic farms and gardens. Now, you mentioned the Rodale Institute, a fine nonprofit facility in Kutztown that's just a half hour or so from Allentown, especially if you take I-78 instead of Slowpoke Route 222. Anyway, I spoke with Rick Carr, farm director and compost production specialist for the Institute, and he explained that they will have organic compost for sale this season. Hey, come on, if you hear the name Rodale, you can be pretty sure it's gonna be organic, right? They offer bulk compost at $35 per cubic yard. You must bring your own method of transport, say a pickup truck or a trailer, but they will happily load it for you. Math time. A cubic yard of compost equals 
27 cubic feet. A raised bed that's four by eight by one foot high would require 32 cubic feet of material. But I never recommend compost alone when filling a bed for the first time. It can just get too heavy, especially in wet climes. For me, the perfect raised bed filler is around 50% compost, 50% high quality screen topsoil, and a generous amount of perlite, a mined volcanic glass that aids drainage and retains water, which is quite a trick. No garden soil, unless you are certain that it contains no lead. Lead problems are extremely common in urban areas and anywhere near older homes. And working in lead contaminated soil can be extremely dangerous to the worker slash gardener. But if a lead test clears your soil, you can use it as a base to take up some room in the bottom of each bed. But do not mix it in. And two inches on the bottom would be the maximum you can use. Then mix your other ingredients well, preferably in a wheelbarrow, and pour them on top of that wretched garden soil. And since only half of the mix is compost, two cubic yards would seem sufficient to supply the compost component of your four new raised beds. That's 70 bucks plus gas money, come on. And for those who operate on a smaller scale, the Rodale Institute also sells bags of compost, each about a five gallon bucket's worth for five bucks. And they supply the non-plastic bags, very cool. Before you buy topsoil in bulk though, go to the facility and get a bucket full to test. Same with compost not from the Rodale Institute. Place some of the soil in a regular old plant pot. Place some more into another plant pot. Leave the first pot unplanted, but water it frequently. Sow some fresh seeds in the other one. Pea or bean seeds are best as they are extremely vulnerable to herbicide poisoning, which is what we're testing for here. Cover it with some more soil and also water frequently. Try and do this inside if at all possible to keep the seeds warm so they germinate quickly. If the empty pot stays empty, you're good to go. If the empty pot sprouts plants, take a pass because the material is full of weed seeds. If your test crop comes up looking nice and green and happy and healthy, go for it. But if they emerge all withered and nasty looking, take a pass because there's herbicides in there. You should perform this simple test on every load of bulk material you're thinking about purchasing. Do not wait until it gets dropped off at your house. In addition, give every batch the duck test. Does it smell like good rich soil? Does it feel like good rich soil? And does it look like good rich soil? If it smells like a duck, looks like a duck, and feels like a duck, it's just ducky. There are numerous facilities all over the country that sell bulk compost, bulk topsoil, and mixes of each. Some may even be able to supply you with the equivalent of a soil test for their bulk compost. So always ask for the paper. But no matter what, take home a sample of any bulk material for testing before you buy. Well, that sure was some interesting information about filling your beds with the best now, wasn't it? 
Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Well, yikes, my producer is threatening to short sheet my beds. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can still contact us anytime at our brand new phone number, which actually works, cats and kittens. How about that? It is 888, the number 4, YBYG44. In human terms, that's 888-492-9444. Or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse, teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, including our brand new and shiny phone number, at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of previous shows. Details, final details, we're running out on how you can get your own little lucky ducky and our internationally renowned podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he found an old cane in a Norwegian cave, tapped it on the ground, and was astonished to find that his hair had grown back, and he now had a nifty new hammer. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is Jersey Fresh Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send us some pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins takes our temperature at the door. Formerly the stand-in for Pugsley on the old Adams Family TV show, Zach the Tack Wisniewski is in the house. Ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Werner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Frederick, and many more too expensive to mention. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, is enjoying working <coughs> from home, ahem, <coughs> while sending us pictures of the racks of lamb he is consuming. He also claims to be walking 1,800 miles a day. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, wondering which third-string Marvel character are they going to make the next movie about? Brother Voodoo? Fin Fang Foom? The Human Top? Paste Pot Pete? One thing I can say for certain, by the shield of the Seraphim, I will see you again next week. Man and woman 
Do not live by tomatoes alone. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal the best cutting flowers to grow to escape those COVID-19 blues. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. Thank you.